Hey guys, what's going on? Justin Ochoa here, actually doing the intro this week instead of Kevin because I was unfortunately unable to join for this episode. Kind of went off the grid this weekend for a nice little family getaway, which was awesome. Unfortunately, I did have to miss this episode, which is an interview with two of honestly the biggest role models and leaders in our industry, which are Tony Gentlecore and Dean Somerset, two names that I know you guys are familiar with, two names that I'm sure you guys have learned a lot from. It's a really, really good episode. You should give it a listen. Kevin does a great job interviewing these guys. They cover a ton of topics. It's a lot of fun to listen to, so check it out, and without further ado, this is Saved by the Barbell featuring Tony Gentlecore and Dean Somerset. Hey guys, welcome back to the Saved by the Barbell podcast. On today's show, I am standing in front of two handsome gentlemen. They are here in Jet Houston, lag. Texas. Well, you're sitting, you're not really standing. Sitting, sitting, yeah. thank you for the correction. Um, for everyone who can't see at home. But across from me, I've got Tony Gentlecore and Dean Somerset. They are here in Houston uh, for the complete hip and shoulder blueprint, the even, even more, more yeah, even more complete. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yes, yes. Uh, so, guys, welcome to Houston. Welcome yeah. to the show. Yeah, Thanks. We just got back from barbecue, so we've already we'll, we got one down. Yeah, we got yeah. the meat sweats going. We might have a, a little brisket coma going on later. Okay, hit the ground running. Yeah. <laughs> awesome, awesome. Uh, well, it's great to have you guys here. I'm excited to attend the workshop this weekend. Um, but before we jump into the more specific things, Tony, why don't you start, give a little background on who you are, oh, how you man. got into the industry. I always, I, I try to change this up because I'm asked it every time I do a podcast, yeah. and I feel like I'm so repetitive. It's always a little awkward <laughs> yeah. talking about yourself. Yeah. Uh, uh, I start, I've been in the industry since 2002, started at, in corporate fitness, did that for about three years, uh, intermittently with commercial gym training. Uh, then I met a, a young chap named Eric Cressy on the internet. Uh, Might have heard of him. Yeah, where at that, a yeah. time when meeting people on the internet was kind of weird. Uh, right. now, now it's just what people do. Uh, yeah. Um, yeah. I, he and I worked at a gym together for about a year in, in uh, Bridgefield, Connecticut. Um, we both moved to Boston, opened up Crest Sports Performance. Uh, I was there for eight years. Uh, and now I run a small studio in Boston where I'm training predominantly to top clients now. Um, so I was training pro athletes for about eight years. And now I'm in the top and spectrum. Uh, which I very much prefer. Really? Uh, yeah. Um, I, I say that often, and, and several times I've been speaking at events, like NFCA events, and oh my God, you should be like training Jen Pop. Like it's some kind of like the merit point in disease. Like, <laughs> oh, you're training Jen Pop? Well, it seems uh, like typically yeah. people go the other route. Yeah. Like they want uh, to. They, they think like the, the Holy Grail is training pro athletes. Yeah. And, uh, you know, that's definitely a conversation that, that can be had. What, I mean, there's some advantages to it, but. Um, I'm very happy, you know, training uh, Jump Pop clients now and, and doing my writing and traveling and getting to come to barbecue in Texas. So, yeah, um, that's that's more or less the gist of where I've been and what I do now. Gotcha, gotcha. So, before I jump in to Dean, I want to just talk about your transition real quick yeah. from Cressy to opening your own place. Sure. What went into that decision? Um, you know, why did you decide to make that? Job? I wish I had a cool story because I, because when I, I remember when I initially said that I was leaving Crest Sports Performance, as the internet does, there's people who are, who are conspiracy theorists. <laughs> sure. Like, oh my God, what happened Drama. with you and Eric? Uh, and I, I played it off for like 30 seconds, like something happened, but nothing happened. It was just, uh, it was time to leave. It was time to turn the page. Uh, that same year, my wife and I got married. So of course we were kind of like, Okay, what do we want to do with our career? You know, she, you know, uh, teaching, uh, um, uh, building her private practice as a psychologist, teaching at university, uh, and then me kind of swinging away from the Crescent Sports Performance brand and kind of uh, continuing building my own. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and it was, and, and, and really, I don't you know, agree, like my earning potential there had, had been passed as far as, um, you know, monetarily. Certainly, the, I always say, like, being amongst the other coaches there and in that environment is, it is invaluable. Um, but you know, from a from a um, profit or revenue standpoint, uh, I certainly reached a little bit of a of a, of a 
venturing off my own was kind of like a, a financial decision as well. Gotcha. Um, to be able to do my own thing, um, run my own studio, and have the freedom to you know, travel and, and continue to write, kind of you know, march to my own beat. So sure. um, it was a very amicable, amicable separation. Yeah. Uh, you know, we, I, I, I was, my wife and I met up with Eric and Anna a couple months ago, went to Fenway Park. Like, we still get together and uh, certainly we don't see each other as much. But, uh, um, but yeah, it's been great. The last two years, two and a half years of my career have been, been, been great. So, so um, very happy with what's going on now. Great, man. Great. And, and what is it about the general pop that you enjoy uh, more about? I, the I, I think it's just variety. Yeah, to be honest, um, you know, and certainly not that it isn't fulfilling working with a with, with athletes. Uh, yeah, I've I've worked with athletes, so I started training them in high school, who are now at a very high level level of baseball, if not in some of the major leagues. Mm -hmm. uh, that's obviously a very <laughs> cool thing. Yeah. But uh, you know, when you're training athletes, it's like they accomplish something. It's like, oh, all right, that was I did it. Yeah, you know. Whereas when you take somebody who who has a, 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 a beat up back or shoulder that doesn't work well, or they, they, they can't do a push up or they can't do a chin up or deadlifting hurts. You take them to a, a place in their training where they're, they're doing stuff now that they weren't even thinking about three months ago. Right. Uh, that's a pretty cool thing. Yeah. So uh, I find a, a lot of fulfillment in that. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I like that. Dean, why don't we jump over to you? <laughs> tell us, uh, tell us about how you got into the industry and, and where you're at now. Well, part of it was by default. I always just like working out in the gym, so I thought, well, why don't I make that a job? And went through school for kinesiology. I was thinking about going into physical therapy, but didn't want to sit in the bedside or a clinic all day long. And I'd rather coach people through squats and deadlifts. Uh, so I started working at a commercial gym and stayed there for 14 years which is like seven eternities for most people. <laughs> uh, but from that, I was able to get a lot of leeway to do my own thing for developing online content, teaching workshops, doing all that kind of stuff. So they gave me a lot of really good stepping stone opportunities to be able to put myself into a position now where I can come teach workshops and have more experience speaking because they had a continuing education department and I was a big part of that. So teaching courses for them on a regular basis before I got to the point where I was starting to charge on an external basis. So recently, uh, just in January, I started working independently. So I left the commercial gym and started doing my own thing, working in a different facility in Edmonton that caters more towards the training end of things. So not necessarily just the workout or exercise, but more of the higher level performance. They also have integrated uh, physical therapy, chiropractic, uh, mental health stuff. So I'm working with a lot of their medical providers to get fitness services integrated. Okay, cool. So what changes have you noticed since jumping from that commercial gym to now? being on your own? Part of it is there's just more options to do stuff. So if I'm working with a, a team, I'm able to do more of a retainer-based payment system versus a per session per client type of payment, which makes it more effective for a lot of them, but also means that it's something more consistent for me. So if the athletes are deciding to say, oh, I just don't want to go to the gym to train, I'm not standing there twiddling my thumbs. Yeah. I'm still getting paid on that month, regardless whether they show up or not. But then I might have 20 people in one group or five people in another, depending on who shows up for what. Yeah. So I can train a group of people like that. But then I can also get on the other side of things, the medical side. I can get uh, some doctors, physios, and chiros to actually write into their recommendations or their treatment plan must have training with certified exercise physiologists. And then they can get that actually covered through a third-party payment through something like insurance or benefit times. Gotcha. So that wasn't available before because all of the invoices had personal training. Right. across the top of it because it was a commercial gym. Yeah. So now I can create the invoice with my designations on it and then have that go through benefits, which makes it an easier process. Gotcha. And it seems like you've always kind of been more interested in like the anatomy, physiology side of things. Is that right? Yeah. A lot of the people that I've worked with have been more of, I guess you could say, on the far end of the spectrum of what the fitness services would provide. So people who have pelvic floor dysfunction, post-surgical recovery, uh, osteoarthritis, medical dysfunction, a lot of congenital diseases. So not necessarily like losing the 10 pounds or right. gaining muscle or just getting jacked. It's people who are like coming in with wheelchairs and walkers and trying to stay functional to do what they want to do. And then working in the elite athlete category. So I've got one client who's a Paralympian who went to Rio and had two silver medals there. Just finished doing a World Cup series for a road and track cycling. And then I'm working with some elite track cyclists that I'm starting to get some inroads in through my wife who's a track cyclist. 
So then I've also got some hockey guys, some football guys. So the cool thing about being in the facility I am is that it's dedicated more towards that performance end, but it also covers the basis for the medical side things too. Okay, cool, cool. So you guys both have kind of trained people from all across the spectrum, you know, athletes all the way down to post rehab or general pop. Um, what are, what are some differences, you know, between those populations and like just how you treat a normal session or an assessment? Um, is it drastically different from one side of that spectrum to the other, or are they somewhat similar to the way you assess? Uh, no, when I, I can look at, uh, how we approach an assessment across sports performance, uh, particularly overhead athletes. We work with a lot of baseball players and tended to be, it could get a lot more specific. Okay. Uh, like, you know, obviously, if we're working with a right-handed pitcher, you know, we're going to want to look at the, the right shoulder or, and left, too. But certainly, uh, we're looking at their behavioral joint, if there's any internal rotation deficits, we're looking at scapular function. Uh, you know, there's a, a, a pretty long laundry list of stuff that we were, we were looking at, we were honing in on. Um, I think with the bulk of Gen Pop clients, it can be a little bit more global. And it really kind of depends. I mean, honestly, like, no two assessments are Sure. I mean, there's certainly a, a sheet that I kind of, is kind of like, I wouldn't say the Bible, but it's, it's you know, it, it's a template for me to work off of. Yeah. Um, but a lot of it is just predicated on their injury history, what their goals are, are they currently symptomatic. Um, and really my, my goal for an assessment is to, really kind of demonstrate as much success as I can. Right. Particularly uh, if there is, uh, if they do come in with a, with a shoulder that isn't feeling great or a back, like I want to demonstrate to them that you know, we can find a trainable venue here. You know, we, let, let's try to focus on what we can do and not necessarily like how this function right. um, you know, So, um, you know, that, that, that is a little bit overlap between both, because certainly I, I take the same approach as an athlete. With an athlete, we just want to make sure that they're ready for their season, that's or yeah. or even if they're coming off. You know, that's gonna that's gonna kind of dictate how these where these sessions look as well. Because gotcha. they're absolutely gonna be beat up. Sure, <laughs> especially after 162. Yeah. Uh, you know, but uh, I wouldn't say like there is like athletes are way over here and young top is way over here. There's much more common ground than there are differences in their assessment, even with their training. Um, but I would, if I had to pinpoint something, it'd be like. The athlete assessment can probably get a little bit more specific because you're looking at the specificity of the sport um, and, and looking what the demands are of that sport, and that's what we're going to hone in on. Yeah. Um, whereas Gen Pop probably is going to be a little bit more flexible. Right, right. And a lot of that is what I would echo too. I mean, with a lot of the athletes are looking at specific performance measurables, so power output, velocity, uh, weight moved, all that kind of stuff. For the general population, you're looking more at, okay, how well do you move or how do you accomplish a task? You can always assign performance on top of that afterwards, but it's not going to be the primary feature that you're looking at. And if you're working with somebody who's got any kind of a medical issue behind it, you're trying to figure out what red flags you want to be aware of to say, okay, we got to send this person back to medical. Or maybe it's something where we say, well, we, we can't really train into that pattern because it's a irritating pattern for you. Or if we stand like this, it's different if we stand like that. So looking through the medical versus performance versus general population, it's just based on what your outcomes are expected. Right. So for a performance client, it's what are the actual measurable performance metrics that you're looking at. For general population, they may not have any performance metrics. That's more, can you accomplish this task so that then I can get you into the gym and start you at a decent level where we can see some positive adaptation. Yeah. So if I have a client who says, I want to work out, and they say, show me a squat, and it looks like they're going to fall over, okay, well, now we need to regress that pattern a lot. If I'm looking at, let's say I'm working with a speed skater right now, Who's, if, let's say they have a massive difference in power output between left leg and right. So they can do a single leg jump on their left leg and get 12 inches. They do a single leg jump on their opposite leg and only get six inches. So there's a big power difference in that for somebody who's supposed to be producing power on both legs. We'd have to address that condition first. So it's not necessarily saying, okay, well, you can't do the movement. It's that we have a measurable performance outcome that we want to get. Right, right. So assuming, uh, I do kind of want to get into some of you guys, I guess, principles, like the big rocks. Um, so assuming we've got two perfectly normal people that come into each of your facilities, uh, you know, they take an assessment, no like major red flags, what are kind of your, your main principles that you stand by? So like if someone comes to you, Tony, uh, to be trained, what can they expect? Uh, they're definitely going to deadlift. 
Okay. In some capacity. <laughs> I mean, that's the thing. Cause I it's think, like uh, you know, I, a lot of, I, I feel like me, you know, I'm, I'm in a little bit of a bubble. I'm a little different because they're, you know, I've been in the industry for a while and, and the bulk of the people that come to me kind of already know what they're getting themselves into. Very rarely is somebody coming in being like, who are you? Like, why am I here? Right. Uh, so they, they've read, they've either read something I've written or they've been looking to kind of podcasts or, or maybe it's just a referral from a, a, a friend, a close friend or a colleague of theirs and they kind of give them a little heads up like, hey, he's kind of a deadlift. <laughs> um, you know, so I, 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 like, I like the idea of getting people strong or stronger and that, and that is completely subjective. That, that and, and, and believe me, I'm not. I I say in jest about the other thing, like, um, you know, it's not like I'm like someone walks in on day one. So we're gonna <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, I want. I definitely want to get them to move well. Um, hopefully pain free. Um, but certainly, uh, setting. I definitely try to do a little bit of nudging as far as like let's find some kind of performance goal to shoot for at some point. I don't mean I don't mean, I don't put them on the spot or anything like. Give me your goals. Yeah. Um, you know, I think over the course of the sessions, it might even take like a good couple weeks or months. They the switch kind of turns on. Like my I, again, I, I want to show them success. Right. Uh, and really, it, it does come down to me just kind of honing in on the basic pattern that most of us are kind of have never to do: squat, a hand, a push, a pull, mm-hmm. a carry, a single leg. You know, those are the stuff I'm going to hammer. It's just a matter of finding like what what sticks, what they do well. Um, and, it, and it is success, success, success. Just really driving home that concept of yeah. success. Yeah. Um, and, and, and showing it as many wins as possible. Right. Um, and then just doing better the next month. Yeah. And, and, and using what markers we established in month one and building off of that going into month two, four, et cetera. Yeah. I mean, I definitely like the idea of those performance measurable yeah. because general population. Typically, they come to you with like a, you know, I want to lose 10 pounds. It's very average. It's always 10 pounds. Right, right. Um, <laughs> yeah. Just say that's like, the number. Yeah. Say 17 or something. Yeah. Like, it's something different. <laughs> but yeah, it's cool to show them like, yeah, we're going to do that, but you're also going to get a pull-up yeah. along the way. Or, I, I, do, I do find in my experience, like if I give them to the, marry that concept, like, look, we're going to get you to be able to do HM. Yeah. Or we're going to get you to deadlift X amount of weight, or we're going to get you to do 10 push-ups, like, to the floor cleanly. Um, I just find that the amount of work and effort and purpose it takes to get there, the, the aesthetic stuff has to happen. Like, yeah, it takes care of like a jerk, you know, <laughs> right. and like the diet is on point. Mm-hmm. But if there's, it really my my job is to show them purpose in the training. Yeah, if I can do that, uh, which I, I feel like I do a pretty good job of doing, uh, then everything else just kind of like happens. You know, they they kind they. Their delts pop out. They get they get in, they get an ab to show. Start to notice. Yeah, yeah, and like you know you know their their butts a little bit thicker. Like yeah. you know it's like that. And to me that that if they're working their ass off, then that's that's those that type of right, right, definitely. Dean, yeah, okay. same, same. I want people to get into a state where they're able to see progress first. So whatever level they're starting at, whether it's they're coming back off of pelvic floor issues and deadlifting isn't in the cards right now, can we work them towards being able to deadlift eventually? Or can we get somebody with chronic neck and shoulder issues who that's a performance element for them because maybe if they sit in an office and their neck and shoulders don't allow them to sit there, can we get them to do more with their neck and their shoulders before they get sore? Or can we get them to still bench press or pull up or do something like that in a way that doesn't irritate the stuff they're getting to be a limiting factor for them? Yeah. So with a lot of it is, like Tony said, basic patterns, work on improving whatever level they're at right now, one way or another. That might involve doing breathing drills. That might involve mobility. That might involve isometrics. That might involve sprint drills. That might involve pushing a sled until you throw up. Each way, you're trying to work on something that's improving that individual's ability to do something from one workout to the next. Yeah. So if you're consistently focusing on how do I move the needle a little bit rather than saying, here's the absolute best program design, and you track numbers to be able to see what the person is able to do over time, you can show consistent progress in a really measurable way. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. Um, so I want to switch gears a little bit. Um, I want to jump to the content creation side of things. Both of you guys um, have very popular blogs, been in the game for a while, writing for all the major publications, all the stuff, all the, stuff, all the stuff. Um, so I want to talk about just how you got into writing. Um, you know, most people in the fitness industry don't probably plan on writing uh, when they become a coach, but 
getting that content out is obviously very valuable. So how did you start? Was it just your personal blog that uh, me for, oh, me just sorry. Yeah, I'll start with you. Uh, Keep the trend. Um, how did I start? Uh, it's funny because I, I, I often joke, and this I repeat myself again, that as my, my English teacher in high school found out that I was a, 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 a professional writer. Like, I didn't so write. Like, yeah, I mean, I, I don't like to label myself as a writer, but in some capacity, I am. Um, I think she was. I don't know if she would cry out of like joy or <laughs> she'd be like, what? Why is the Twilight Zone? Um, I don't, honestly, I, I, I definitely did not enter the industry thinking that I was going to be writing at, at, at all. Um, you know, I think at some point when I was cruising teenage forums and other various forums early in my career and reading all, everyone else's articles and what they were saying, I was like, you know what? I, I agree with that, but I feel like I have a different mood different bit of a spin or I could say it a little bit more entertaining yeah. or something like that and that, that's really how it started um, and then certainly you know I lived with Eric Cressy for two years so that that certainly helped too like he was very pro I mean he would be in this room writing books I'd be watching Lord of the Rings and like, <laughs> so being around a guy that had a work ethic like no one I've ever known Absolutely. Um, that 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 certainly helped yeah um, you know and then eventually I was lucky enough to get my um, my foot in the door with teaching, and that really kind of like propulsed me to uh, another level. Mm -hmm. um, you know, when I first moved to Boston, uh, one of my clients was uh, uh, on staff at the Boston Herald, and when it was when it was actually a newspaper, now it's just an online paper. Uh, and, they, and she had said that they were looking for uh, a fitness writer to provide content for their website. I was like, all right, I'll I'll do that. Um, and that just kind of, I did that for, gosh, I think I did it for about a year and a half. Mm -hmm. um, and then that just kind of progressed to my own personal website and blog. Okay. And then I just kind of kept the momentum going. Yeah. Um, you know, I really, it's just, I just did it. Uh, I, I can't think of a week where I haven't gotten somebody reaching out to me asking about, oh, how do I, how do I start writing or how do I get my stuff out there? Mm -hmm. um, and I, I, don't, I don't, I say it as, as nicely as I can. I don't, I, what I would say now is not what I say, but it's like, I, I don't email. They're like, stop emailing me. Yeah. Like, start Just writing. Do it. Yeah. Because you, know, you know, they're probably emailing the next person the same question. Sure. Oh, what do I need to do? Because they're just looking for that, that one, like, Validation. Like, yeah, and I'm just yeah. like, like, stop, stop emailing yeah. me and just start writing. Like, it's going to suck. It's going to be hard. Right. It's, it's going to be horrible. It's going to be frustrating. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but it is, it is really repetition. Uh, and, that, and that's, you just got to do it and get it out there. Yeah. So, Very much like saying, how do I get strong? Well, you go and you lift that weight yeah. and then you do it again yeah. and again and again and again and again and again and right. you'll be strong. Yeah. Yeah, it's not sexy, but that's the solution, yeah. just the consistency with it. And that's <laughs> the hardest part. I mean, I kind of, you know, a little background on me. I was a civil engineer full time until about seven months ago. Wow. Um, so I did the training stuff on the side, the blogging on the side, uh, and then kind of built it to a point where I was able to leave that and now train Straight full time. Up. A lot of people do that. Right, right. Uh, but the consistency, that's just always a thing. I, you know, I think sometimes me personally – kind of people in my position, I think, stress themselves out about when that big break is going to come or, you know, mm -hmm. when I'm going to write for T Nation. Yeah. This is stuff way off in the distant future rather than, like you said, just like handle this thing well, right people now. people probably aren't. Yeah. To get to that level. Right. Uh, I mean, there's just so many nuances that come into to the writing process and certainly uh, knowing the material. But then you have to be an engaged writer. Sure. And nowadays, I feel like that's even harder. Yeah, to get people's attention. Now everyone, and then specifically, is, you also have to know your audience. Because yeah. the way you would write something for Teen Nation is entirely different than the way you would write something for, say, Men's Health or Women's Health. You almost have to kind of insult the reader in order to bust their balls a little bit on Teen Nation. Whereas <laughs> yeah. you can't do that in Women's Health or Men's Health. Right. Just due to the fact that it's an entirely different audience, and sure. people are going to those sites for very different reasons. So what would fly really well with Teen Nation would not fly at all with another site which is great. That's exactly what they're going for. They're trying to differentiate themselves from. And the way that Tony and I would each write on our own sites would be very different than what we pitched an idea for, for like a Rodale type of publisher. Right. Like yeah. One of the ones who do all of the publishing for most of the health industry. So, yeah. Yeah, I think I've noticed that in, in y'all's writing. You know, you both have a very clear writing voice. Like, I, mm -hmm. I know when you guys are writing, 
Um, but you can see those subtle differences from publication sure. to yeah. publication. Yeah. yeah. Um, and that's, I mean, that's, that's more a, 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 a tip of the hat for the editors. Yeah. I mean, they <laughs> yeah. definitely, the editors definitely form it to their audience because yeah. they know their audience more than we ever could. Right. But still, you have to present the, the case with your writing to the editor so that they don't have to do as much work. Sure. Because there's no editor that wants to take a rough draft of 2,000 words of actual dog shit and then say, oh, okay, well, now I'm going to make this look like a whole diamond. Yeah. So the editor has to bust their butt so hard to get something like that going that they won't even look at it. If it's something that's so rough, they don't even want to consider it, they'll just pass on it. Yeah. If they get a piece of copy that's actually really clean and something where they just have to change a couple of words around to fit the, the tone of who they're trying to talk to, it's gold for them. Right. So knowing how to write for that is one of the hardest parts about writing. Gotcha. Yeah, I mean, you know, and now as well, one of the questions I, I wanted to ask you guys is with all the different forms of media, with video and podcasting, um, do you feel that it's best to kind of double down on your strength and go all in on one of those mediums or kind of try your hand at all of them and see what picks up? I think it's good to know what your strengths are and put most of your efforts behind that, okay. but also to hedge your bets and go into other directions too. So think about Instagram. Five years ago, 10 years ago, Instagram wasn't even a thing. And it wasn't something that the fitness industry was really getting into en masse or pumping out large amounts of content or even good content. People were all doing written blogs. So a lot of people who were going from the written blog don't necessarily write anymore, but they put up content on Instagram. Same thing with YouTube. Not as many people are putting stuff up on YouTube, but they're putting it to Instagram. Or Facebook, they're not putting it on Facebook, they're putting it on YouTube or Instagram or some other form. Yeah. So understanding what mediums are essentially buttering your bread, but still are playing into your strengths. So for me, I'm okay on things like YouTube, but I would much rather write because yeah. that's where my strengths lie. So I would rather write a 2,000-word article on something than talk on camera for 10 minutes, do all the editing behind it, and hope to have personality come through at the end of the day where people are like, oh, yeah, I'm going to click like on this or subscribe. Yeah. So a blog for me is my strength, but I'll still put up video clips on YouTube. Yeah, I, I agree there. Like, I think a lot of it, my my inner introversion comes in my writing. Like, I think, I, I, say I, I like writing because I can be my own thought and I can be I could be in a coffee shop and just with my headphones on and no one's talking to me. Right. <laughs> where, you don't have to be a personality yeah. on sure. a video um, camera. You know, so, and I think, uh, I agree. I think, um, I think it, it bodes in anyone's favor to kind of go with their strength. Um, you know, I, I feel my strength with writing. I, and I don't have to, like, be on and I don't have to be from the camera. I mean, I do YouTube videos. I do put out videos, but... Um, they're usually pretty short. Like I, I don't think anyone nowadays. I don't think anyone's watching a five-minute video on any. Right. Yeah. Uh, but then even just see, a couple of years ago, if you had a ten-minute video, the the view rate on a ten-minute video versus a nine-minute video was like one third. Really. So ten minutes was kind of the cap. Now it's down to like five minutes, and I'm guessing it's oh, even man. down to a minute because Instagram has that one-minute cap. Yeah, right? Right. Yeah. So if it's longer than an Instagram video, people are just going to hit snooze and skip. Yeah. Right? So you, I mean, yeah, you, you kind of have to know your personality too and what 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 bring that out best. Yeah. Um, you know, no one has to write, no one has to do a podcast, no one has to do Instagram, but um, you know, it, it certainly helps with getting your the, your message out there. Right. Um, and I, again I think it's both many more favorite to figure out what what their strength is and how to get that message out there the best. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. Uh, Dean, I heard you on a podcast a while back talk about how your career kind of changed when you started focusing a little more on, on the business aspect of things. Yeah. Um, can you, you know, a lot of our audiences, they're young strength coaches kind of just getting into the game. Um, so what are some things maybe you wish you knew earlier on or things that you learned early on on the business side of things that kind of helped you make the jumps to where you're at now? Well, the biggest ones are things like, how do you actually sell something? So we're all in a business where we're trying to get people to exchange money for goods and services. So in order to do that, you have to sell. And in order to understand how to sell, you have to understand how to sell both ethically and unethically and be able to play into what your strengths are. I'm not a fan of unethical selling because it's not something that's useful for anything other than disappointment at the end of the day. But at the same time, understanding what would make somebody want to buy from an unethical salesman is important because then you can start playing around with how that is formed 
and make it into something that's an ethical modality. So a, a good example of that would be somebody who's selling like a snake oil or like fit diet wraps or like diet teas or something like that. Why would somebody choose something like that as a fairly unethical sales promotion or using negative body talk or, hey, do you not like your love handles or your seller? Like, don't like being fat, take this diet. That's kind of unethical stuff. Yeah. So what would make somebody look at something like that and say, I want to buy that because of the way this is presented? And then how can we make that into a better modality, like a more ethical sales approach? So by understanding that kind of stuff, you can actually increase your closing percentage when you're working with clients, but then also make it so that it's a way of promoting what you do in a better light to help people to understand that you're not here to just take the money. You're here to actually help them. Yeah. Which means that they give you money, which means that you have more money in your bank. So understanding basics of sales and then also understanding basics of marketing. So you have to get people in front of you in order to have the usage of any of the sales techniques going through. So marketing gets people in front of you. Sales techniques help you to learn how to actually get that person to purchase whatever it is you're trying to sell. So learning those two elements of things means that you actually expand your training business. You can help more people and you can have better success for your clients long term. But if they don't come in the door to, for you to start and if you don't have the ability to either convince them that you can actually generate benefit for them for the money that they're putting in, it's all for naught. How did you learn that sales and marketing? Was it through books or a mentor or just kind of experience? Primarily through books, but then through a lot of self-learning and going through a lot of research on what actually happens in sales and marketing. There's a lot of books out there on the psychology of sales, psychology of marketing. But then if you go into any bookstore, I know bookstores are becoming like an anomaly these days. Maybe on uh, Amazon, you can go into like the marketing and sales section on that. There's thousands of books on that topic. And you can dig as deep as you want. You can go into the hard, hard sciences. You can go into just straight up techniques and procedures. Mm -hmm. But going in and just understanding what those are and then practicing them, learning what the roles are supposed to be and then molding it into what you want it to actually be can help you to become a much better organized business individual for what you're trying to do. Gotcha. You have one book off the top of your head. How to Market to the Affluent. Okay. So I can't remember the, the author on that one. He's a, I think it's Dan Kennedy. But it's a really cool book because before he talks about how to actually sell, he talks about who the affluent person is and what some of their driving features and forces are, but also why they're hungry or why they're scared. Mm -hmm. So more so than saying, oh, they got money in the bank account, it's they've got a lot on the line because they want to not lose everything that they have because they usually have some higher risk ventures. Sure. So what are they scared of? What are they worried about? How do they view themselves compared to how somebody who may just be making minimum wage would view themselves? Yeah. Not that one is better or worse, but they just view themselves differently. So if you're looking at how to actually market for higher end services or higher end products, understanding what those driving forces would be would be important to understand. Yeah. I mean, you can't sell a Mercedes to somebody using the sales techniques to somebody selling a used Volvo out of the back alley of some weird parking lot, right? Right, right. Totally, yeah. You know, it's funny you mentioned, um, you know, the ethical versus unethical discussion. A few podcasts ago, Justin, um, my podcast partner. Yeah. He was talking about how he had a, a college basketball athlete who came to see him in the offseason, and he his vertical went up eight inches in six weeks. Wow. And so Justin was saying, like, if I was a real dick, I would just put out a program that said, increase your vertical jump in six weeks. Yeah. Uh, but I'm not a dick. So, yeah, <laughs> yeah there's that. There's that's that why people like Justin. Exactly, like, yeah. <laughs> but you're, you're right. You have to know that that's how – someone unethical would operate and yeah. kind of yeah. find your way to still get business yeah. doing it the right way. Because, I mean, we can look at all the people out there who are just the shadiest of the shady and say, oh, they're not good. They're not good. Okay, well, they're successful. They're finding ways to be successful. So how do you fight that fire unless you have a fire of your own? Right. Right. So understanding why they're being successful and then how can you play that in your own modality so that you can go toe-to-toe -to -toe with them in a way that's actually somewhat ethical and is beholding to the values that you're actually putting out there without crossing that line and starting to sell the snake oil. That's why we're going to actually win a battle of getting people off of things like diet teas or off of waist trainers or off of BS programs or shady diets or stuff like that. Right. We have to use their tactics against them, but in a way that actually lines up with the research and what we're trying to achieve. Right. Tony. Yeah. Yes. I don't know if I can talk about it. <laughs> <laughs> no, that was great. That was great. <laughs> Uh, so what is the question again? So, <laughs> I'm sorry, yeah, that was a long one. Uh, I'm out, bitches. <laughs> just leave it Mic drop. <laughs> uh, business advice for young yeah. coaches or for your younger self, things um, that kind of helped you. You know, 
know, I, I, I was lucky because, uh, you know, I was around Pete Nair for eight years. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I helped build impressive sports performance. So um, I was lucky that my, my strengths are as a coach. Like, my strengths are not as a business person. Um, and I, I actually, before I even uh, opened my studio in Boston, like, I think I wrote several articles on my blog saying, like, uh, you don't have to own a gym. I think one was, I will never own a gym. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, and in a lot of ways, I still, I still very much back what I wrote. Uh, um, I don't find it at all hypocritical. Because like, even, I mean, Yes, I own a gym, but it's just like I'm renting space. And I, I just happen to train people out of it. And I have other coaches that pay me rent that they can use it. And they yeah. sell these. So it's, it's not like a, this entity. It's just like a small, I mean, it's not much bigger than this room, to be honest. <laughs> yeah. uh, and I just happen to train people out of it. And I, I pay my landlord rent and other coaches pay me right. uh, a fee to use it. So, um, But uh, as far as business advice, um, I think a lot of it, there is a lot of common sense involved with with building a business. I think it, if you're um, if you're able to just build a connection with your clients, uh, I think that that is um, that's a huge winning or, or, or a huge selling point for any business because mm -hmm. um, that's what most people want. I mean, you know, and I, we all know in this room that you know we've been around trainers who are horrible trainers. <laughs> like they're garbage trainers, but they always have a packed schedule. Sure. Like they're totally. packed all that. And we're like, why? How is this happening? <laughs> yeah. It's because they're great people. For yeah. Me. I mean, they're, they're really great with people. They feel a connection and there's a reason why somebody keeps paying the money to be their trainer. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, so I know, I, I know I'm a good coach and I'm a, I'm a competent coach. Um, so I can take those skills, but then I can also bring in the, the, the connectivity part where my, I am building one's confidence and autonomy and relatedness, which is all, it's all, it's motivation 101. Yeah. Um, and just taking that. And I think if you can, if you can get good at, at, at improving those three things with your clients and your athletes, uh, you're, you're probably going to do, you're going to, you're going to have, you're going to be in the black. I think I got that right. Yeah. See, that's not much of a great business person. <laughs> Red, black. I think red's good. Red's bad. Um, but, uh, yeah, and it, you know, it's certainly there. There are there are a plethora of books like uh, that that we can all read. Mm -hmm. um, but certainly, you know, just just reaching out to I mean, going to other facilities and seeing how they operate is as, as, as this is this is advice to the, any of the young coaches listening is going out and and shadowing and observing other facilities and other coaches and seeing what they do. I mean, that's 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 a great way to learn business right there. Totally. But I, I do think. Uh, I mean, I, even, even Pete Dupuy at CSP will say, like, a lot of what he did to help. I mean, he, he was the business guy of Cressy Sports Performance, and um, he would say a lot of it is kind of common sense. Right. You know, you should know your numbers. Uh, and he, he's a guy that knows the number. I mean, you, if you could you could call Pete right now, he'll be like, how many sessions were done in August? <laughs> and he could break them down, <laughs> yeah. like, who, who left, who stayed, like, how many sessions? Uh, you know, you should know your numbers. I mean, uh, but I certainly would say everyone should have an accountant. Uh, don't do your own taxes. Have right. an accountant. Uh, you know whether or not you want to look into getting uh, um, business consulting or, or, or business uh, um, mentorship, mentorship or, or anything like that. Mastermind. Um, that that okay. could be of, of value. Okay. Because um, then because then you, when you get someone else looking at you with with a somewhat unbiased eye, like your how you run your gym or how you run your business or you know, like it, it can be very helpful. Right. Certainly they can bring up things that are uncomfortable and you'll think, Oh man, I don't know my numbers and oh my taxes, <laughs> I just kinda wing it and like right. um, so that would be my advice. Yeah. You know, it, certainly not as impressive as what Dean gave us, but <laughs> you, um, you gave more than me. Uh, that's great. I just gave that's the great. sizzle, that's all. <laughs> no, I mean when I when I left my job, like that was the scariest thing is that, you know, I felt so incubated in this corporate environment where you know, I get my paycheck every two weeks, the taxes are the taxes, it's, you know, it is what it is, and then all of a sudden I'm off on my own. It's like, yeah. oh shit, I, I gotta find someone to help me with this. Yeah, I mean, I think, uh, you know, certainly guys like Mark Fisher and Michael Keeler of Mark Fisher Fitness, yeah. like they, their business for unicorns is a great resource. I mean, they, and they'll tell you, you need to systematize everything. I mean, they have, I mean, you you listen to them talk about their business, they, they have a, a written dialogue of everything. 
Yeah. These are the questions we ask when we interview. These are the questions like when someone walks in, these are the questions, like, it's like everything is scripted. Yeah. It's so, it's impressive. So if you ever want to feel like a really shitty business person, which is, I mean, I, yeah, I think if you're, if, if you've got to be active, I mean, mm-hmm. certainly you gotta, you gotta be the type of individual who wants to get better and, and read and, and, and see the individuals who are successful. Sure. Um, you know, I think that, 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 that you would think it's common sense, but I don't think a lot of people follow that. Yeah. You're right. You're right. Um, so last thing here before we jump into the fire round, I want to talk to uh, each of you guys about your personal training, what okay. you do in the gym, uh, maybe a little bit on the nutrition side of things too, just kind of lifestyle, daily habits. It's always cool to hear how high level people are operating. So uh, Dean, why don't you take it away? I have no idea how I make it through each day. <laughs> I'll be honest. It's like some days I start at 6 a.m., some days I start at noon. Uh, coffee is usually the first meal of the day, and then I might eat before lunch. I don't know. It uh, depends on what day of the week it is. If I'm training like 20 clients in a day, it's eat a protein bar in between clients, and that might not work out that day because I just am too busy. Yeah. And then uh, there's some days where I've got two clients in my day, and I can plan out to have lunch and dinner and a workout. So for most of the day, it's very much like I look at tomorrow and say, okay, what does my day look like? When can I fit a workout in? Can I eat? What should I do to plan and bring, bring something ahead of time? Yeah. So my schedule is not really day-to-day the same. Like a lot of trainers, we have break times. We have odd times where clients might be sick or on vacation or whatnot, or everybody comes back all at once. So right now, it's kind of one of those phases where everyone's coming back at once. So looking at my week next week, I'm already starting to try to block off a break so I don't go 10 hours in a row. Yeah. Because those are never fun days, no, not no. for me or anyone else. <laughs> um, for my own training, a lot of it is right now just staying involved in some heavy lifts, uh, not putting in a huge amount of time in terms of volume because it's still summer in Edmonton, believe it or not. So I'm biking to and from work as much as I can, which is my cardio and somewhat of conditioning. Mm-hmm. And then I'll do some heavy deadlifts, some heavy squats, some heavy bench press, maybe do some bicep curls. And in the winter, I'll do a little bit more in the gym because I don't bike as much. So I need to switch things up. Sure. I'm, I'm really glad you said that your day kind of varies because I used to, and I still kind of do pride myself on being like very regimented and routine. Yeah. But since, you know, I left the nine to five job where every day yeah. was scripted, it, you know, every day I'm waking up at different times, training at different times. And so to, it seemed like chaos at first. I'm still trying to grasp the idea of my days not being yeah. monotonous, I guess. Yeah, I admire anyone who can have that level of regimentation and yeah. dedication. For some reason, I can't. I can't get into a group where I'm like able to do a Monday to Friday in like a nine to five role where I work out every day at the same time, eat at the same time. It just doesn't seem to work for me. So having a lot of variation in my day seems to be something that gets me going and keeps me alive. Yeah. And as far as when you sit down to write, is that any particular time? No. Also just... It might be nine o'clock at night. It might be 10 o'clock in the morning. It might be two o'clock in the afternoon, whenever I have free time or if an idea strikes. So it's one of those things that I don't try to force if it's not there. I might go two weeks without writing an article, but then I might have five or six really good Instagram posts in that same time frame. Right. So whenever the idea strikes, whatever the medium feels good and go with that. Awesome. My turn. Your yeah. turn. <laughs> uh, so I, I would like, I say my, I have a year and a half old at, at home. Yes. So before he arrived, uh, I was in like this blissful uh, <laughs> bubble uh, of regimentation. Yeah. 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 And, and I wouldn't say it's like, well, oh, from six to seven, I do this. From seven to eight, I do this. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I would, I would get up, you know, Lisa would leave to go to work. Uh, I would do some writing. I'd go train and, you know, and when I left uh, Cressy Sports Performance, like I don't start my, I don't even start coaching clients until three, four o'clock in the afternoon. Okay. Um, you know, and then of course, uh, January thirty first or twenty sixteen happened, <laughs> and everything. There's a massive curveball. Right. Uh, so the past year and a half has been a bit different. Mm-hmm. Uh, whereas the mornings have been kind of dealing with, you know, him waking up and making sure he's fed, and you know, waiting for the nanny to show up and my life's so hard. I have a nanny, and like, oh, it's so hard. Doesn't go to work until three p.m. <laughs> yeah. Um, so now I, you know, my my first thing in, in, in my stomach is an athletic, a big thing of athletic greens. You know, I make then I make my oatmeal and eggs. Mm-hmm. Um, watch a little bit of the news while while Julian's kind of throwing everything everywhere um, and picking up after him. Yeah. Um, 
but now is I, I am coaching 20 hours a week. So um, Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday, I coach people from uh, four to eight or nine o'clock at night. Uh, and then Saturdays, I have uh, basically eight to three. Okay, my longest day. Um, and then I, I do have uh, like certain times of the week blocked off for assessments if I if I need them. So um, so yeah, my coaching schedule is, is pretty line in the sand. These are my hours. Uh, because I do share the space. So yeah. um, uh, there's five other coaches that, that use the space and, and there's only one at a time in there. So if someone blocks off the time, it's their, it's their space for that, that block of time. Um, but I, I knew I drew, I drew the line of sand as far as like when I wanted to be coaching people. Right. Uh, and I felt 20 hours a week was, was a good um, number for me, number. manageable number, considering what, what else I had on the table as far as like my writing responsibilities and um, traveling when I need to travel and not to mention, you know, being, being able to hang out with my wife and sure. and, that, and my kid too. So, um, so, you know, my, my, my day to day is, is still pretty set in stone, but certainly, um, you know, my training can fluctuate anywhere from 10 in the morning till right before clients show up. So it's between like a, a 10 to two uh, okay. window where I'm training. Um, and I have a coach that writes my programs, which has helped gotcha. tremendously. Yeah. Uh, you know, Craig Robbins has been writing my, of the strength house has been writing my programs for the past uh, two years. Yeah. Um, you know, and last year, honestly, even, even being year one of a dad and, you know, just turned 40, uh, going into, going to 41, I was able to train up to a 600 pound deadlift. Like I didn't, I didn't miss many training sessions. Mm -hmm. Uh, certainly uh, having a kid, I mean, there's days where you're just like, nah, it's not gonna. <laughs> Ain't but I can honestly say there weren't many training sessions that I missed. Yeah, uh, and I would say it was a great year of training. Like I, I'm, I'm not hurt. Like I don't, I don't, you know. Certainly, like when I travel and stuff, it gets a little bit, right? You know, with jet lag and whatnot. But yeah, training's been been great. But it's it's, it's really predicated on just maintaining my strength and um, and just throwing some meathead stuff in there time and time got to but but having having somebody write your programs uh is a, is a tremendous stress relief and and, and help so yeah. as much as like we have that service for our clients that like, we don't really think like how valuable it really is until we have somebody do it for us and totally. it's like, oh, it's so so much better yeah um, but yeah that's more or less my day like and, and as far as writing uh i feel like i'm a better writer in the mornings because if i if i try to write when i get home at night after coaching i'm like I'm ready to just go to bed. Yeah, I'm. I'm very much a fan of, of sleep. Yeah. <laughs> uh, my wife and I are 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 very very like we. There's times where we're getting ready for bed at eight thirty because I I would much rather go to bed and have a good eight nine hours of sleep. Totally. And then like tr like oh I gotta stay up to midnight because I have to get these programs written and get this right. I I, I that's a bunch of bullshit. I'm with like, you on that. I'd yeah. rather I'd rather like live longer and get like, <laughs> enough sleep. Yeah. <laughs> a really cool piece of advice I heard. I can't remember who it was from, but uh, don't stay up late to do something you wouldn't wake up early to do. Yeah, that's a so, quote right there. Yeah, yeah. That's a good one. And, then, and we have a great natural clock now but you do i mean he, he he's, up he's at, down you're down he's up at 6 30 i mean he goes to bed pretty early though he's he's in bed at 6 30 so has he always been a good sleeper no he had colic oh, okay uh, for the first six weeks for hell yeah. uh and and the well the, i mean and we sleep trained him i mean we you, you grind it out you do, we did the work like it was sucked yeah but we sleep trained him and now he's he goes to bed at he's asleep by 6 45 he wakes up at 6 30 6 45 you got it um, down, and he and he when we put him down, he knows it's, it's down. Like yeah. it's, there's no shenanigans. It's like he goes, he turns over, he goes to sleep. Yeah. Um. So my my wife can get all most of the credit for that. <laughs> but uh, um. But yeah, it's uh. Now I'm ready. He just started full time daycare this past week. Okay. So my mornings are back now. Yeah. So that's been weird. The first week was weird. So now I'm hoping to kind of be more of a content generator. Gotcha. Kind of get back on. Not that I haven't been writing, but. I definitely feel like I'm a little bit rusty, mm -hmm. so I'm excited to see. And, and not to mention, like I feel, I'm really rusty with my just my reading and continuing that. Like sure. I have a stockpile of stuff on my computer that I haven't read for the past year because I just have not had the time or watch. Yeah. So I'm really excited to kind of catch up. Totally understand. <laughs> like so, that would yeah. be cool. Yeah, I've got a four-year-old and a one-year-old. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so the so four-year-old can... just started pre-K. Yeah. Um, and and yeah, they both have been always been good sleepers luckily 
but it's getting them to sleep that's yeah. the hard part. And yeah. so mine don't go to bed till we go to bed, my yeah. wife and I. So, yeah. you know, they'll sleep in late, but, yeah. the, you know, there's no work getting done at night. I'm yeah. not even trying. I'm ready for so. Like, let's go. Yeah. <laughs> I got three dogs. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys. Um, buy around I'll time. Buy around. Do it. So I originally wrote out a couple individual questions mm -hmm. that I want to ask. I want to ask one individual question, then I'll ask some collective. Okay. Ones. Sure. Um, so Dean, starting with you. I notice that you wear a lot of Jordans in your videos. Yeah. What is your favorite pair of Jordans of all time? Um, well, the ones I'm wearing right now, the threes. I got the cement editions. They're, cement they're pretty threes. hot. Those are my yeah. favorites as well. I've always liked the threes. I used to work at Foot Locker when I was in university. So that kind of triggered everything because it's like you got easy access and a staff discount. Totally. You can't go wrong with that combination. Yeah. And when I was working there, the threes were kind of the hot item that had just come back out. And everyone was amazed that they were released from the archives. So I picked up a pair then. And they've just always felt good. I love it. Yeah. Yeah, it's one of those things I always see in your videos. I'm like, oh, got a new pair. <laughs> I've never noticed that. Well, part of it's also like if I'm on my feet 30, 35 hours a week, I'm 250 pounds, so it's going to wear my shoes down really fast. So if I'm only like 150, 170 pounds, nothing against anyone who is, they don't have the same compressive loading on the shoes. So yeah. for me, four months is as long as I get out of a pair of shoes. Right. Otherwise, my feet, my knees, my back all start hurting. Yeah. And it's pretty immediate. Well, it's a good excuse to stay fresh all you know, the time. You got to keep them kicks clean. Man. <laughs> I love it. All right, Tony, question for you. I know you're a big old school hip hop. Oh, yeah. Give me your Mount Rushmore of artists of all time. Well, I'm wearing the shirt right now. Okay, Tribe so, Called Quest. Tribe Called Quest is number one. Number one. Like, I, I, I take pride in introducing a lot of my high school athletes to a Tribe Called Quest. Yeah. I was like, this is one hip hop. I mean, I think every person thinks their era of music is the golden age of music. Yeah. You keep but, the music you were listening to when you were But 18. I do kind of feel like 90s hip hop is like the golden age of, of hip hop. It is. It's revered as that I think, now, even so. Uh, so my Mount Rushmore would be Tribe Called Quest, Wu-Tang. Okay. Uh, I'm definitely Team Biggie. Okay. Uh, with the Team Biggie Tupac. Yeah. Um, Mob Deep. Mob Deep, um, all right. A lot of uh, East Coast stuff yeah. going down. Oh, it's all it's yeah. pretty much all you're all East Coast. Um, okay. You know, Del the Funky Homo <laughs> Yeah. Floors of the Underground. Yeah. Uh it's it's all night. Yeah. It's it's I, I am constantly if I'm not playing nineties hip hop, it's usually like techno, but it's more nineties hip hop. You must be from New York. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that would be my yeah, my mom wrote, but Shot Cold Quest is definitely my your my number, number one. one. Yeah, so what about so. today's hip hop? No? What, uh, I what no, I think it's garbage. Do your athletes ever try to like? <laughs> well, they listen to it. And yeah. I'm just like, what is it? What, what is this? I don't. I don't. I mean, I, I'm old. No, I guess. Yeah. I'm old. Like, I don't get it. What are you whippersnappers listening to? Right. It's right. like remember oh. when we were kids and your dad would be like rap music. I call yeah, it crap so. music. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, I'm trying to think. Like obviously, like, yeah, like Kendrick Lamar. Yeah. Um, um is is great, mm -hmm. but uh, I don't listen to a lot of like. Childish Gambino is probably, I think he's he's probably about as close to like the type of rap that I can get. Yeah, <laughs> totally. No, I'm, um, I'm. And then, and mind you, I'm I'm a white dude from Illinois, New York. So <laughs> I, I get I get that my uh, my my stake in in the in the in the genre is a little bit limited, but um, but yeah, as far as like any any current artists, like that's that's really the two that I. I'm like, okay, that's pretty good. Right, right. Um, but a lot of the other stuff, I'm like, oh, man. Yeah, Justin and I, we joke about how we always thought we would never be those guys who said, like, the new music is kind of like, oh, back in my day, music was real yeah, music. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I'm only 27, he's 28, but already I'm like, I can't believe they're yeah, actually listening yeah. to this. It's that's like awesome. when Al Bundy threw for four touchdowns, right? <laughs> I don't know. See, I don't know anything <laughs> about Oh, that. you don't? Oh, no. <laughs> Married with children? Oh. Oh. No. Married with children was like, you know, I was right on the verge. Right on the verge. So, like, I know of it. I know the name, but I'm not going to lie and say I, I know. Oh, no. We are old. <laughs> okay. All right. So, questions for both of you guys okay. now. Um, these are ones that we kind of ask pretty uh, regularly on sure. the show. Um, so, you got one lift. Uh, deadlift. I'm, yeah, I'm sure. Deadlift. What, if I had to it was big squatter deadlift. For what though? Like just my head. Just one that you can do. That's the only 
lift you can do the rest of your life. I probably, honestly, I probably would shoot squat. Really? Because I feel like that's going to carry over to more uh, stuff. Okay. Um, I probably would I'm shoot. I, I try to maintain a pretty good squat. Although I'm not, I'm not, I'm not like a great squatter, but yeah, I would probably, just for the benefit. Just because I feel like, yeah, I think the squat. Probably deadlift. Deadlift. Yeah. Ah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Fair. All right. So. You can eat one food every day for the rest of your life, and it has no effect on your health. Right. What would it be? Cookies. Cookies. Yeah. Cereal. Really? Not what's the cereal? Cake? Golden grams. And what's the cookies? Chocolate chip. <laughs> Fair. I dig it. I love cereal. I'm actually surprised it wasn't carrot cake. Well, carrot cake's there, too. Yeah. All right. Um, who is your favorite fictional athlete of all time? It's from a movie, a TV show, book. Fictional athlete. Fictional athlete. I don't know of too many fictional athletes. Oh, I'm man. sure they're out there. Are we talking like pro wrestling too? What about Willie Beeman? That's one, definitely. Right. Yeah, yeah, pro wrestling, sure. <laughs> Macho man. <laughs> Macho man. Because <laughs> there's no way that guy was real. That's <laughs> <laughs> true. Um, all right, awesome. So a uh, few more serious-ish ones, I guess. Uh, one piece of advice to new strength coaches in the industry. Spend a lot of time listening, very little time talking. It's a good one. Yeah. Uh, I think it's very important to have a life outside of fitness. Yeah. Uh, I think we get too caught up in like we have to live, breathe, eat, everything fitness, barbells, and paleo. Like have a life outside of fitness. Like now the downside to that is that the people who are like the venerated have zero life outside of fitness. But it is <laughs> in terms of like the general everybody in it, yeah, yeah. definitely have a life. Otherwise, you're going to burn out. Right. But there are those complete off the wall A type people who they're going to be successful because of themselves, mm -hmm. where that's all they do. They just do that, and they will do everything they can to put out content. That doesn't mean that they have successful relationships sure. or friendships or anything going on outside of the gym. But they're good at that one thing. Right. So you kind of have to decide what, what do you, you want to do. Be. Yeah. yeah. All right, um, give us one book recommendation. Just one? Just one book. Yeah. And it can't be the business one from earlier. No. Uh, what was one that I was just reading? The Content Trap by Bharat Anand. Really, What's that one about? Uh, it's a really cool book talking about how different industries have had to uh, flex based on new emerging technologies. Okay. So it looks at how newspapers and magazines had to change their subscription model and focus more on things like classifieds and message boards versus actually selling advertisement. So they had to change how they were generating their income entirely. The ones who did really well with that survived, the ones who didn't are gone. Yeah. And same things could be applied for things like TV news or any of the other examples that were given in the book. But it's really cool to look at that kind of stuff and then say, okay, what are the parallels into fitness? Very cool, very cool. I think mine would be just from the, because I appreciate his writing style. It was uh, a heartbreaking work of staggering genius by David Eggers. It's an autobiography. Okay. Um, but uh, I just I just appreciate his writing style. And it's basically him, like his, uh, he became the guardian of his younger brother at a, at a pretty young age, like early 20s when the parent, his parents died. Okay. So it's just like that whole story, but just his writing is, is, is great. So nice. that would be, uh, that'd be my choice. Okay, cool. Uh, last question. You're on the Saved by the Barbell podcast. Mm -hmm. So can you tell us how you have been saved by the barbell? How has working out, lifting changed your life? I wouldn't have a life otherwise. Like as far back as I can remember, I've always tried to work out and lift weights back to like when I was 14. So who would I be other than somebody who lifted a weight? Nice. Yeah, that's a good one. I feel, uh, I feel it's been uh, – <laughs> we almost made it. <laughs> we were so close. We almost made a cameo. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, I, uh, I, man, it's a pretty good one. I, mean, I think uh, I, I can't think of a time in my life where I haven't uh, um, been excited to train or this hasn't been a part of my life. So that, that's been, I, I think it's, it's given me grit. It's given me um, resiliency. Uh, so, yeah, that's. Yep. It's in our DNA by now. Yeah, it is ingrained. Yep. Awesome. Well, guys, thank you so much yeah. for joining me today. This was awesome. I really appreciate you taking the time cool. before we get down to business tomorrow. Yeah, um, I'm excited. Before we jump out of here, would you mind just telling everybody where they can find you online, um, where they can 
read your blog, all that good stuff. Um, DeanSomerset.com. If you go on Instagram, it's DSomerset1. There's another one of my profiles on there, but I can't remember the password, so I just created a new one. And, uh, <laughs> Facebook, Dean Somerset. YouTube, Dean oh, Somerset. So wait, you were Dean Somerset? I, I was like another type of Dean Somerset. I can't even oh. remember what I was, but there's like another profile on there that I can't remember my password. <laughs> so I just okay. created a new Start one. Over. <laughs> yeah. And uh, if you go on Google and look up Dean Somerset, you'll find a whole bunch of like cow pastures for sale in the UK because there's a township of Dean in Somerset County uh, that's just <laughs> agriculture. So if you want like rural real estate, you can check that out too. Very but nice. then you'll also see hits of my websites and stuff like that. <laughs> cool. Yeah. We happen to have a very big uh, real estate, ranch real estate. In, you know what? Uh, I'm, a, I'm a big Sunday fan of farmers. So, so yeah, there you, there you go. If anyone in <laughs> Dean Somerset is looking for real estate, buy that and take a picture standing in front of the sign that says Dean Somerset because I don't want to come visit. I'll, I'll be meta. I'll be Dean Somerset in Dean, Dean Somerset. Somerset. <laughs> uh, for me, it's just Tony Jonacor. That's that's the website, our um, blog. That's access all my social media. Um, so that'll be the hub for me. Awesome, guys. Appreciate yeah, it. People you. out there listening, thank you for tuning in. We'll see you next time. Peace.